Welcome to another episode of the NPCs Discuss, where we talk about the video game industry, events, history, controversies, and more. On today's episode, we last spoke about NFTs in January and online-only games in July, but there's been enough that's changed in the last half a year that has us talking. From big names in the gaming sphere embracing NFTs and outages on popular titles causing frustrations and game rankings to drop, we felt it necessary to come back around and discuss what these new developments show for the present and future of gaming. In today's episode, we're revisiting NFTs and gaming along with online only. My name, of course, is Travis Sherman, and as always, I am joined by Kyle Inman. Kyle, hello. What's up? Well, what's up is this week we are going to be revisiting these two episodes. So our two episodes here that we're revisiting, NFTs and gaming, and online only. NFTs and gaming, we originally dropped on January 11th of this year, and online only was back in July. And with all of those different changes that have occurred... In between these different recordings that we've had, it feels like there's enough to actually kind of revisit some of this and talk about where we're at right now. Talk about some of these big things that have come up since we recorded it um, or recorded them, excuse me. So we're just going to kick things off here and start off with the first half of our episode talking about NFTs and gaming. So in our uh, show notes here, of course, putting everything together, um, I actually want to start off with the first thing here. And this is actually the story that we covered in the news back almost like I think a week or two weeks after the NFTs and gaming story published. Mm -hmm. And that is specifically talking about Ubisoft and the the C-suite executives or VPs, whoever they are, who are in charge of their NFT initiative known as Quartz. Uh, So this story here, I've got the article up from Eurogamer, was published on January 28th and talks about, uh, let's see, who was it exactly that they talked talked to here? Uh, Nicholas Perard, the VP at Ubisoft's Strategic Innovatives, uh, Innovations Lab, excuse me, has said, I think gamers don't get what a digital secondary market can bring to them. For now, because of the current situation and context of NFTs, gamers really believe it's first destroying the planet and second just a tool for speculation. But what we at Ubisoft are seeing first is the end game. The end game is about giving players the opportunity to resell their items once they're finished with them or they're finished playing the game itself. So really, it's for them. It's really beneficial, but they don't get it for now. So let's let, let's dive into a little bit about that though, Kyle. We we talked about this though in the news. Um uh, literally after the story came out mm-hmm. and what what are your thoughts on that though like kind of coming back around to it a few months later with what has changed i mean has ubisoft really adjusted anything after these types of comments do people do, do gamers out there really still feel dumb when it comes to nfts you know or is it like just more of a a true misunderstanding of the market that they're trying to serve even though the nft market only kind of exists well i think part of it still has to do with the fact that they haven't educated people on you know what entails their nfts other than you get a a fancy helmet with that's numbered and has a name attached to it you know or you know it's a specific model and only you know three of those models exist or whatever people don't understand what the value uh, that they're they're creating in the nfts so i i think it's 
part of the misunderstanding is the lack of communication from Ubisoft, from other people that are trying to bring it into the industry and make the move to cross over and, you know, bring bring the blockchain to to gaming um is is part of the problem really and not only that where where is their particular blockchain where does it lie um is it their own blockchain that they've created uh so it's it's a new system with an all new value that you know doesn't have any buyers into it currently um and then the other thing to consider is the fact that even Ubisoft employees have turned around and said, we don't like what's going on. People are talking about this and we're being given stuff and it, we don't even want it. So that's actually a very good transition into more of the stuff really about Ubisoft and NFTs is what the employees think. And yeah, I did not actually grab the story for our notes today. But yeah, you are right, is that it's, it was within the last couple of weeks, if you can find the story and then just drop mm-hmm. a link there in our notes doc. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right, is that Ubisoft employees were brought together, you know, whether it was in person or some sort of like digital um, all team meeting, all hands meeting, talking about NFTs and what exactly was going to be happening with um, NFTs specifically, like, and that they were going to be giving out NFTs so that way those people, like the developers could be um could be the spokespeople for the company you know and and all the developers just basically threw their hands up and it's like we don't care about this there's no value in us doing this there's no value in us taking this because we don't care about it we just want to make games we're not here to shill nfts yeah i i I, and actually i i think i just found the article um for pc gamer where they were actually interviewing the the employees about it saying that um the uh well, let me see it was uh in an email basically sent to PC Gamer uh representative said how how players can benefit it um is it always will be at the core of our thinking um uh, but on the other hand um the uh where was it one of the employees said it was deep in a deeply embarrassing day to work at Ubisoft while another um asked management uh was uh competing with EA for the most hated game studio by the public and it asking if it was a way to uh handle the widespread misconduct allegations in the workplace so i mean it, it another thing to consider is is this a way to sweep other things under the rug by bringing other things to light? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, is that you you redirect the conversation instead to being one where oh hey, you're going to you're going to do all this stuff with NFTs now because this is our new thing. This is our our company mission now or at least this is one of our new guiding principles to be able to adapt to NFTs and blockchain while at the same time going through a uh, a massive scandal that, of course, a, a few other gaming companies are going through at the moment too. Right. So it, it's very likely a good, like a good mix of both, but obviously handled very, very poorly on both sides mm. because it, it shows even more guilt, especially on the on um on the horrible conditions that those over at Ubisoft have been facing, um, especially those who've been discriminated against and and sexually harassed and and it goes you know everywhere anyway, but. 
it does definitely feel like that is a way to kind of change the narrative. It's like, oh, look at this new shiny thing. It's kind of like the old adage about people with ADHD where it's like you're having a conversation. Ooh, squirrel. That's not how it works. Right. But to the same effect, I mean, um, not to to shift gears too suddenly. I mean, you look at the uh, schedule for GDC and it involves how many panels on NFTs. So it's not just companies uh, saying that, you know, we're going to sweep things under the rugs or by, by trying to uh, bring all these new shiny objects into games and into the, the gaming realm. But maybe there's something more to it and there's actual interest in the uh, in the community by higher ups in other companies, not just, you know, Ubisoft with their quartz, with, you know, Square Enix with potential um, NFTs to come. Um, I mean, look at Konami. They've already been selling NFTs, um, of games and some of them aren't even all that great. No, they really aren't. Uh, yeah. So this, what you're talking about with the GDC schedule though here. Uh, so, uh, what is this? This is so, so, so I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce his name. So, so Yeah. So, Sawaski on Twitter. Um, he is the developer for Thelemite, McPixel, Mosh Pit Simulator, and a bunch of other games. Um, so on Twitter, he shared out a screenshot of the schedule from Game Developers Conference, and he just did a quick search on there, and he's literally, he says here, I just realized how many NFT and crypto talks uh, there are on GDC, and what the actual hell is this? What's next? NFTs at a maze? And a lot of the the things here, like a couple of the panels, blockchain and games, what every developer should know, uh, how Web3 games work, changes in the use of NFTs in games, and build NFTs and metaverses into any game with Web3 auth. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it feels like, and you actually made, I think, the best comment about this when we were talking about it, is that people are not very receptive to this right now. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to force it down their throats as much as possible. It, like, the, the best way to fight fire is with more fire, obviously, but it's it's a fire they set themselves, I guess. I don't know what, how else to really describe it. Right, but I mean, it, it's one thing for... This, this is Game Developers Conference, so this is only the uh, game companies that are, you know, actual developers or CEOs or executives that are actually going to these conferences. So they're getting the information, but how are they relaying it to the public? Well, so you do have panels that are going to be visible and available to the general public. This is true. But what you're, but one of the foundational things about Game Developers Conference that a lot of people were... Or, or a lot of people use it for, especially a lot of your indie developers, is a way to bump elbows and and talk to those in the AAA studios or AAA devs uh, and publishers in that to try to hopefully like pitch yourself, pitch the game that you're making, pitch the idea you have to be able to be absorbed potentially by one of these one of these companies. You know, instead of having to rely on just self publishing, right and where some of that actually concerns me is not necessarily the actual the view of it from the outside per se for the for the that 
a gamer, a regular gamer like you and me. Mm-hmm. Most of the view I'm seeing actually is a concern is for indie developers who think that the only way for them to be noticed is that they're going to have to put the emphasis into some type of NFT or blockchain tech in their game just to be potentially picked up and distributed by someone other than just self-publishing, you know, through through Steam or whatever. Like, it's a game that doesn't have anything to do with NFTs, but it does require them now to be actually, like, noticed. It's just, that that's what it feels more like to me, is that you don't do this, you're not going to be picked up. I I definitely feel like that message is being conveyed um this year at GDC if you when you look at a docket that's that full of you know web3 and NFT and blockchain um panels uh but to the same effect I mean you you do have a lot of other games that are coming out and that are already announced that that don't have blockchain or don't have NFTs tied to them and they're going to be plenty successful, I promise. You know, you, you look at like, well, I don't, I don't want to even say like the fact that they just announced like a new Prince of Persia because that's Ubisoft, so they they could work it in there. Who knows? But I, I mean, we just had like Ghostwire Tokyo launch, just as a as a qu- quick example. Um, that that has a single player story. There's no multiplayer. It has no involvement with NFTs. Yes, there's pre order bonus costumes that you could probably get a download code through, you know, sketchy networks if you really wanted to. But let's face it. Beyond that, I it it'll probably do fine. It's a Bethesda game. It's a Tango GameWorks game. It's got names tied to it, and it. it it's going to be based off of what it sells, you know? Yeah. But it it doesn't have to be affected by NFT technology. And, you know, there are other games too, like even online games like Valorant, uh, Overwatch, Overwatch you pay for. It's, it's not free. Like, like Valorant. Um, it doesn't involve NFTs. It has plenty of collectibles and stuff that you can earn money for. And, you know, once a year you can even buy whatever you want. Yeah, and the issue, again, anyway, with NFTs, like really to circle back around on, and this will tie into the next part we're going to talk about um, with NFTs anyway, though, is that the market is still not really set up for what happens with an NFT after you are done with it, I suppose. I mean, obviously, of course, there's the the reselling of it, like the quartz, um, the quartz system that Ubisoft has. Its underlying technology is, I think, I think the actual token is called like XDR, I think, or something like that, or XRD or something. But th- that at least has some sort of like quote unquote real world value when it comes to the token part itself. But it uses that type of system to actually handle the the tracking of those NFTs. But I think what really gets to me though is that we don't have all of these like open marketplaces. When it comes to things like, you know, you don't have Steam talking to, talking to Epic Game Store. You don't have them all coordinating between like Microsoft or, or for Xbox on the PC or PlayStation Network or anything else that has its own built-in storefront. Right. Um, like you could even look at like um, Call of Duty Warzone. You know, it has a storefront in the game itself. And then like PUBG also does too. None of that is actually joined up where you can transfer these different NFTs 
between, say, like different versions of the game. Like if I were to look at like a Ubisoft title, like let's say Assassin's Creed Valhalla mm-hmm. has NFTs. I if it if it had an NFT of some type, there's no linked up way, at least as I'm aware of right now, you know, other than maybe a Ubisoft account that you could potentially use to transfer these items in between different versions of the game. Like, let's say your Ubisoft account is tied to your Xbox Live account, tied to your uh, PlayStation Network account, tied to your Steam account. You know, you've got all those different things that are interlinked. Maybe you could move stuff around that way. But then it's up to the actual console itself to be able to handle those types of transactions and communicate things back and forth, though, too. So then you're having to rely on something external from the, the game system itself to actually be able to to handle these transactions, though. Like, you potentially couldn't be on your PlayStation or your Xbox and go and say, like, oh, I'm going to go sell my NFT here and pick up right. this one here. You may be required to use something like your phone to go into an interface or use your web browser to do it. Um, and then even so is what happens when they stop supporting that game? What happens to the NFTs that go along with that game? Does that mean I could bring something from Assassin's Creed Valhalla into Rainbow Six Siege? Does that mean it'll carry over to the next Assassin's Creed game? There's no rhyme or reason, you know, at least or, or any sort of explainer from these companies who want to incorporate NFTs on how they're going to get from point A to point B. Other than we have a marketplace you can sell and buy on. Okay, good. What's that mean going forward, though? Yeah, and what what kind of longevity um, is, is the game that that's going to be tied to a, NFTs going to have that that's going to cause them to hold value in the first place? You know, or yeah, it's, for that matter, exactly. you know, it, it, how how are you going to create enough NFTs that that some are going to be worth you know hardly anything they 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 could just be traded freely like n- nobody's business and then you're going to have the uh, few out there that are are the exclusive you know they're they're the ones that are worth high dollar money and what jurisdicts that you know does does their blockchain value fluctuate yeah and well i would imagine that they would given that they are based on an underlying technology where the value of that that coin mm-hmm. is going to be changing every single day or, or like every single minute. It's not tied to like the stock market where it goes up and down, you know, with the stock market. Then once the stock market closes, OK, that's it. That's the value of that coin or whatever it is all the way through the night or all the way through the weekend until the market opens the next time it, it's supposed to. It, it's it's fluctuating every second and it continues on that all the way through. So the value is always going to change. And now I think that's actually where it's a good time to circle to or, or to to go on to one of our last parts here talking about NFTs is specifically talking about Dr. Disrespect's game studio and their push on NFTs. So, Kyle, do you want to talk a little bit about this one, about what's kind of happening here and what we're seeing? Um, let me let me get the article pulled back oh there it is um so basically uh with dr disrespect announcing that he was potentially making a game studio um now he has officially announced that uh with the creation of his uh game studio codenamed project moon uh they're going to have 
a focus on free to a free to play title that will never be pay to win, but um, you will also be able to engage in NFT trading. Color me shocked. Yeah. So we've <laughs> so we've talked about this stuff with Doctor Disrespect before, like you know, in the news especially. So a lot of this is not new. But but the key thing though is that what's come up though is you know talking about exactly like what these NFTs actually do entail for you. Mm-hmm. And so specifically, one of the things that's talked about in here, um, if I go, you know, if I'm looking at the same article here going down, um, where was it at here? Um, they actually had like a a breakdown of the things that were going to tie in. Where is that now? Like literally, it's like I just. Well, I think. Dang it! Where did I have that? A different one. But I want to say one of the things that they are going to have is early adopters. Oh, I found it. Can actually purchase or like buy into the game or the studio or something and get yeah. exclusive yeah, yeah, yeah. NFTs uh, that will be available later on in the game. Yeah. So, like right here, or what it says, this is what I wanted to focus on is that um, according to what Dr. Disrespect said, uh, it says the NFTs do provide early beta access, the chance to vote on game changes, limited edition profile pictures, and more, but will have no in-game bonuses. Like you said, you can't like you know it's not pay to win on that part. And hey, that's 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 great. That's really what it should be. But you know what this sounds like more than anything? Mm-hmm. It sounds like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, just totally more does. moving parts with it. Because it's exactly it. It's like if you pay this much, you get this. You pay this much, you get this. You pay this much and and so on, you know, and if you are like for, I would say, some of the more popular ones anyway, popular Kickstarters that at least, you know, we know from days past, you're usually just usually like with that initial one, you can actually help to vote and make, you know, help to vote with like changes on things that are going to be coming up in the product or the game or whatever, because you have, you know, you've thrown money into it. And now that section that uh, is blocked by needing to throw money at the Kickstarter, now is there open for you to actually comment on and, and interact with to be able to provide your feedback for whatever it is that's coming down the line. Right. This is really just a very roundabout way to do something like that. Just more moving parts and just really focusing on the current buzzword of the day. And may, maybe it's not even that. May, maybe it's a way of getting the money from the people and then satiating that that need to have their input. Maybe it's a way of not not having to get their input and and they just they're the audience is satiated for putting in their money and knowing that that what they got will be in the game for them, just for them. Yeah, and. That is also very true, especially because of the way that, like, some of this is being handled. That that, that very well could be the case. And I'm just very concerned, though, about NFTs in general. I, I've said this many times, though, is about it just really showing itself as being more of a money-making scheme. Because Nintendo and Microsoft don't even want to touch it right now. I think Sony was the same way, too, that, you know, Nintendo's like, d- does this provide entertainment or does this provide you know uh happiness like a value of some type at least in that category for them to do stuff microsoft is not on board with doing it either that's like they're looking at stuff but they're not on board with doing anything um i don't remember what sony said but i'm just concerned though that as we continue to see more of this and especially the gdc thing that we're gonna see more more in regards to how 
games are presented to people and how games have to be built, even though we've already seen the majority of it, even from developers like with Ubisoft, not wanting it. Like, like there's just really like no value behind some of these things that are coming out, a- at least in the sense of like being that person. I mean, hell, Dr. Disrespect tomorrow could lose all of his money and have to completely pull away from his backing of, of Midnight Society and everything have to shut down. But like literally everything just have to go. And that means then that all this money that was thrown in for NFTs, if it wasn't spent on operational costs already, is gone. Nobody's getting any of that money back. And now, congrats, you now have a JPEG of what your character probably would look like in the game. And that game doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And the actual the actual uh, NFT of whatever that JPEG was that was hosted somewhere, it, it's gone. So whatever money you put into it, it's gone too because there's no value in the actual NFT. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you could find a way to convert that NFT to the actual token that it's based on or something and go from there. But yeah, exactly. That's that's the problem that all of these companies have to face right now is that it doesn't matter if they're multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar game companies or Dr. Disrespect with however much money has been put into Midnight Society. There's this very big risk that things are going to shut down the next day. And yeah, it's not worth, it's not like, you know, they shouldn't try something new. It's just the concern, though, about what it's going to look like for us as the consumer going forward for what developers think we want, even though we could care less. Yeah, I I don't know. I think as it stands right now, um, if because it, it, it sounds like it's going to be inevitable that NFTs are going to be part of the gaming world. But for that to happen, I think game developers and publishers need to reel in the idea of what they think an NFT is and actually properly communicate to their their audiences of what entails the NFTs that they're actually going to be able to purchase, trade, and maybe keep and continue on through games with. Yeah, like try to try to really like sit there and emphasize exactly as you said it's like where is the value going to be in this for every other title you have that you're trying to incorporate nfts with like where exactly am i going to be able to take this to if you guys decide to shut down support for this other game yeah it, it's Especially like as things go dr disrespects thing it's a character skin for yep. ubisoft it's it's a mask it's pants it's gloves it's whatever you want it to be um what what's next you know is it going to be art in that you hang up in your house in in grand theft auto it, you know is it going to be specific uh breeds of horses in in red dead online i mean it needs to be communicated on you know what what we're actually entailing and what the idea of what an nft is in a game yeah and and i think where we could probably wrap it up with is like what we talked about previously with what other companies are already doing now. That's not necessarily an NFT. We have steam. Like we have steam specifically with uh, the marketplace and all of the different things you can get all the different skins and um, whatnot you can get for like CSGO for Dota for team fortress. You know, those do have a value granted. You can't cash out and take the money out with you, but you can sell those in the marketplace, get the money in your steam wallet and be able to use that money towards purchasing other games or other things now if they turn around and turn those games into 
NFTs themselves or turn them into something that can be resold on the marketplace with, you know, some profit going to Valve for being able to sell it and you getting it just like it is with skins and items. Okay, you know, there there might be something there because then that might work out just fine. But again, then you're still centered on a single platform that you if you have a copy of Halo Infinite on Steam, but you want to instead play it on Xbox and you're not one to go pay for Game Pass and you want to convert it, it's probably not going to happen. It's probably not going to work. There's probably no communication between Valve and Microsoft to say, hey, this person sold it. They're going to take this key and go buy or, or go use it for Halo Infinite on their Xbox right now. Right. You know, just, just trying to say that is that it's not platform agnostic yet. It's still very closed off. But we've seen it with them. We've seen it... Um, I always go back to, to Valve with Steam and that, though, too, because they really do have something at least pretty well set up with what they're doing. It's just they don't want to do anything with NFTs, though. You know, they don't want to actually have any games. That's why they changed their rules. Right. Yeah. So at this point in time, then, I mean, there's always things evolving and changing in the world of NFTs. And it seems like every other day we're always hearing something different about nft so i guarantee we're going to be revisiting this here at some point again in the near future mm-hmm. uh but with that of course though we're going to take ourselves a quick break here uh got an ad coming up here for our sponsor anchor.fm let you listen to that and then we'll be right back to go ahead and start talking about online only and we are back all right everybody we are moving on to our next revisit we're going to go and talk about now and that is online only we originally dropped this episode back in on july 8th of 2021 so you're talking i mean not necessarily a full year but god in the world of technology and gaming it feels like it was just it feels like it was a decade ago now just with how much stuff has changed yeah no Um, doubt yeah so so focusing on the online only stuff, of course, is is where we were focusing on it back then is the games that really require specifically needing online connectivity to be able to actually play. Uh, I can bring up the actual um, the actual intro we had here, you know, that you were able to purchase a game from whichever store that you wanted to at that point in time. And as soon as you got home, it was fully functioning. You could play it if it had an online component. Usually it was like, OK, you just plug in and go. But otherwise, you didn't have a problem playing it if online was down. It's like, okay, I'm just going to go and do what I'm doing. Uh, but online only has really, you know, it, it it moves so fast when it comes to the games that want to be online. And those of us gamers, which everybody listening to us here is a gamer, we seem to be the ones at the short end of the stick when it comes to a full, like full tier, like full paid for game that requires online access or gives the impression that it doesn't need online access, but then completely like the the game company basically pulls the rug out from under us and throws us to the wolves. And that's where I want to start actually with the most recent problem that actually came up here was Gran Turismo seven, Kyle. Yeah. Um, so of course, what a dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, brand new game. If in case anyone in the world hasn't heard of what, what occurred, uh, brand new game requires seventy dollar game. Yeah, seventy dollar game. Seventy dollar game. It's not even yeah. at the uh, classic sixty dollar price point. This is the uh, new seventy dollar Sony premium price point that that you had to incur for this one. But um, within weeks of the game launching, 
the game requiring online play all the time, even during single player, went down for 30 hours, disallowing its entire audience to not even be able to play single player or do races, trade cars, or purchase cars in single player mode for that matter. Yeah, that was actually a really big like kick to the teeth because Microsoft only like several months prior dropped uh, Forza Horizon 5, which Horizon and Gran Turismo are very different. I mean, if we want to compare anything in the Forza line, it'd be the standalone like Forza Motorsports. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, exactly. You're right. Is that um, it was only like several months ago that we had Forza Horizon 5 drop and it was a, a a near instant success for like everything that it did and it did it well. Um, and then we had Gran Turismo seven drop that a lot of people were looking forward to, especially those car game enthusiasts who really like the, the look and feel of Gran Turismo and like the accuracy and the, and the commitment to detail for the cars Mm -hmm. tracks and events in these games. Well, outside of the whole chaos that came with microtransactions that appeared post review time, Yes, exactly. 30-hour downtime due to a bugged patch from Polyphony Digital. Yeah. What a shame. Yeah, a, a patch from from the developer killed the game for 30 hours. And it was actually something that they, if I'm not mistaken, they, they had actually said they caught while rolling out the patch. So they, they didn't have, I don't know, time to... Uh, run run the patch through the full test server, or um, I guess what they had originally stated, uh, without looking up the article, was that they had hadn't experienced any issues, uh, while running tests during uh, on the on the patch. So it seemed to be stable when they began to, the rollout, and mid rollout is when when they had realized that it had this game-breaking error. And that's a problem in any sort of development environment, that it works fine on my machine. I don't know why it doesn't work well on yours, but you look at how development environments work versus like production environments. Sometimes like the goal is to have a development and test environment that mirrors production, so you know what you're going to get into. Right. But when they're testing different things like the patch, they're testing on development PlayStation 5s, and they're probably testing on development servers that might have more oomph, or maybe the tool set in there helps, like, you know, helps to catch these bugs and um, might have masked something that wasn't actually visible. And then it got to production where some of these things don't exist, and it just, the issue itself propagated. And there was no way really to stop it once that download was out there. So I get it from a DevOps standpoint. I do. And I sympathize with them on that part. But it really goes to show like especially for a $70 game. The fact though too, like the article here from Kotaku even says that they could play some of its arcade mode, but the majority of its single player content requires the live service model focus being online. And what a bummer, especially yeah, yeah. for people on PlayStation 5. Arcade I mean, mode like, is really... not campaign. That's single one-off no. races. So you may not even be able to play with any of the cars that you currently have. That might be just, you know, oh, you get to race with one of three cars. All of a sudden, you're you're not playing uh, Gran Turismo. You're playing Need for Speed. Just simulation Need for Speed. Yeah, and 
what I'm really more frustrated about than anything is the lack of detail that came out, though, too, while they were trying to resolve the problem. Is that it's like, I know my game is down, but maybe there wasn't enough understanding about the online components of it. But be more transparent about what's happening in the background, though, because... Like, granted, there are certain things you probably can't reveal, but obviously it's like, do your best to be more open. Do your best to be more transparent to the people who literally paid 70 bucks for your game. Well, and I think... That's one of those important things. Yeah, transparency, it seems, has been a problem for Polyphony because of the fact, you know, they they added the uh, microtransactions after launch. Obviously, they're, they're not communicating to their audience of what is actually happening with their server and then all of a sudden you know they're making these changes uh that that were supposed to be in this patch that are are going to be rolling out in future patches about actually uh changing the gameplay to uh i want to say make the uh, races more uh, accessible to earn credits, but at the same time make more credits more difficult to earn. And if you were apparently also part of the uh, the game before the uh, the patch that broke the online aspect, you got one million credits, which seems like a drop in the bucket for anyone that has already spent seventy five dollars to buy a car on the game. Yeah, and I, I will say though that. Anybody who spends $75 on an in-game item, that just, man, I feel for you. Like, to to be the best at some of these things, that's, like, I would much rather sit there and grind to actually earn the stuff, you know, and work my way up through things. But, God, $75, like, especially with the way inflation has been in that, too, and the cost of other things going up, that's just, that's just too much to pay. Especially then you talk about 70 bucks just for the game alone, though, too. That's just I, don't, I don't know. It almost goes into to uh, I don't know, like predatory, um, like a, a predatory purchase or a predatory sale of a of a game. You're, once you you've got them with the sale of the game, you 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 got them with the microtransactions, and then you got them with you know this and this and this. But that that's a whole nother, you know topic almost i well that can even tie back into what we just talked about in the first half with nfts is that yeah exactly is that you know the nft is a way to to like suck you in and to to bring you into this thing here and it's like you know with nfts being the big thing though too i I don't really want to spend too much time on what we talked about in the first half but it does Mm -hmm. tie into this though is that you are bringing in all of these different things that are you know trying to entice people to do it and you see it with crypto where people like, oh, go buy this coin, go buy it, and it inflates up, and then people like a bunch of people go and sell all that they had, and it crashes. It's like that could potentially be like that could potentially be the, like the same thing that you see happen with you know stuff like this though too, because you don't have a way to resell those cars once you buy them. Like you could get through a whole circuit that you need a car for specifically. Can you resell the cars though in GT Seven to actually recoup that money and buy another one? It's actually ironic that you mentioned that because that that was a hot topic um, here on. I want to say it was the the recent patch notes or it was an in game message that that players were receiving. It did actually mention something about selling your cars and being able. I, I think it was actually a message from the developer um, that they had posted on their site or something. But it mentioned what they say then. 
uh, basically mentions that uh, selling your cars in order to recoup funds or to uh, bolster, you know, your 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 garage that way. But there isn't any way to sell your cars, and there's no roadmap to actually uh, sell your cars. Which which is funny. I we're getting to a point that. You know, we didn't expect these things and we didn't need these things in the past, but games are launching so incomplete and, and, um, you know, with such a lack of communication on what features are going to be enabled or, you know, are accessible at launch or accessible to a player that's even connected online that it becomes a wild card. It does. No, it, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I also am thinking about those people who, you know, who don't have like the, the best online access either, is that we've had the supply chain constraints with even trying to get an Xbox Series X or a PlayStation 5. And for the people who yeah. go do it now, it's like, okay, now I've got to spend an extra $10 per game to be able to get those. And then if online goes down for some reason, then my speeds are already crap. Now I'm even more screwed out of being able to play something like this because to play even my game. online connection though too is yeah exactly it's like i'm i'm stuck now with a 70 dollar chunk of plastic that i can't do anything with you know i could go try to play another game on my playstation 5 which is fine but it's like i wanted to spend the time playing this and uh, that's what really gets to me about like what happened with gran turismo 7 and a lot of the shady stuff we we have seen kind of go on with this, especially for such a well-respected and well-received game series for as long as Gran Turismo has been out. Yeah. I, just, I don't know what else to think about though with it other than they've really got to make some fundamental underlying changes. Otherwise they're going to have another big outage again. And then the game's just going to be rendered useless again. I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I just I can't help but think that it, it's so funny that it's that it's always the single player games, the the games that are supposed to be single player that when they go online they have issues. Or, you know, online yeah, the single... only. Like Gran Turismo. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it may be a single player game and you can play the entire game through and through single player, but it you have to be online. Or you look at like this is gonna be a funny one. Uh Fallout. All of a sudden, a single-player game that was—it wasn't necessarily the greatest as far as bugs go, because it did have its issues. Let's face it; each one. That's normal for a Bethesda game, though. Right. But then all of a sudden, you took it online, and it failed. It crashed all the time. They had server issues. Uh, It was incomplete. Uh, There were no players. There was nothing to do in the world. If you found the developer room, all of a sudden your account was blocked. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a very, very like key part of it, though. Yeah, is that like games can have multiplayer components. You know, we, like that's not a problem. That's been a thing for for us for several console generations, anyway. You know that you have your main core experience here, and it's like, oh. Well, here's a multiplayer option if you want to do it, whether you're doing it like local LAN or over the internet. But now, you know, the whole emphasis for them anyway is that the live service part is to mostly focus on anti-cheat. But if I'm playing locally, like if I'm playing in an offline capacity and I'm going through and driving around playing these games and that, 
like what's the value in offline for me to potentially cheat i mean like would it be possible like you know to unlock cars or earn more currency quick so when i do go online i can go and buy stuff better okay maybe sure that's understood for a lot of things though but there's just some of these things though that really make me question why else it's there other than maybe the potential for more control though too because like i get it you know you you have a free service you know, obviously you're giving up some freedoms when it comes to that free service, you know, with us using anchor.fm here for our podcast, you know, we do get that for, to use that for free. Um, we don't have to pay anything into it to use it. And we are bound of course, by their rules and that otherwise it goes. But the difference though, is that now 70 bucks to play a game and 95% of it is basically knocked useless when there's an internet problem on their side. Yeah. It just it doesn't sit right with me. That's some pretty anti-consumer stuff there and I wouldn't actually be surprised to see at some point in time like some sort of like almost like class action come up about it because it is. It's like you're interrupting this. It's like I knew there was an online component, but the extent of it has basically rendered this game I bought useless. Or god forbid something, you know, happens to your own ISP. Oh yeah, I, uh, I mean, 100%. You know, 100%. Uh, we we go well at least i go through spectrum what if spectrum goes down for four days all of a sudden i can't play my 70 dollar game what what if granted i don't have a playstation 5 but what if i had a playstation 5 and i bought it at at release and all of a sudden right after getting home uh all the telephone line or all the lines in my my uh neighborhood went down I mean, it's not it's not unheard of of one or two lines in my neighborhood to break occasionally. So, yeah. or especially like uh, I'll put an example out there is um, I remember when I bought my Xbox One. I didn't get it at launch, but I bought mine a couple years um, after it had, it had already come out. And one of the things I did when I got home, it's like okay, well, I don't actually have any Xbox games to play right now. This was pre Game Pass, of course. I don't have anything there. I can download some stuff from Xbox Live that I did purchase on my 360 and maybe play some of that. But I was like, well, I got it home and I'm like, well, I want to see how the Blu-ray stuff works out. Do you want to know how Blu-ray works on the Xbox One, Kyle? It's very simple. You have to download an app to actually use the Blu-ray player to watch movies and TV shows on Blu-ray disc on your Xbox. It's a Blu-ray drive already built there. You have to download an app. I had to download that to be able to watch one of my Blu-rays instead of getting games downloaded. Now imagine, especially imagine it's like you go, like you do exist. Like let's say you are in the middle of the nowhere. Your internet's crap. Or maybe you don't have internet except for maybe what's on your phone. You buy this device to be a all-in-one machine for yourself. Mm. Exactly like what the Xbox One was positioned to be. You know, it's like, okay, well, I do have some Blu-rays. Or maybe I picked up a Blu-ray at the Red Box on the way home because I'm going to try it out with the Xbox One and see how it goes. Well, now you can't do it because you don't have internet and you can't download the Blu-ray player app to be able to actually enable that functionality. That's just what kind of kills me about that. And it really ties into what we see with like um, with Gran Turismo is that the focus of online only has the biggest drawbacks in the world is that internet connections are never 100%. And downtime is always going to happen. Not I, not every day, but... I do have a defense... Ugh. Sorry, uh, not to interrupt, but I, I do have a defense no, to you're the, good. The, the Blu-ray thing. But it, it also does 
to the same effect, make companies like Sony for, you know, their server outages for a $70 game make them look even worse. When you buy the Xbox One, you're buying a game console. Now, if you're buying a game console, it's totally understandable for the uh, said publisher of the, the console or the maker of the console to not include that application on what should be a game console because they want to ensure that you have the most space for your games. Right, but again, for that functionality to even have been enabled in the first place, though, by having to download an app, you think that amount of space, like those drivers in that and the other like underlying right. software make that work is very small. Now, the reason why I had done this was because I did have games on Xbox Live I was going to download. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to let these download, and I could try them out, but I'm going to watch a movie that I haven't been able to watch in a while because I didn't have a Blu-ray player anymore until I got the Xbox. It's like, now I could throw one of these in and watch it while I download the games, you know? That's but I couldn't do that right out of the box. That That's what I'm saying is that is that, and this is why it's funny, is because I think Microsoft has mostly gotten away from from this. I mean, online only has been really embraced for a lot of a lot of things, really. Um, but you know, Sony made all of the jokes about Microsoft and their online only focus. If you go back to the PlayStation four and it's like, here's how you trade or here's how you trade a game with a friend. And you just, you know, he's just handed it over. It's like, that's the joke, you know, but now we see a main first party title on a, on the console itself, on their brand new shiny console going down for 30 hours and and basically, like, again, a $70 hunk of plastic sitting there waiting because of a bad patch. Yeah, all of that's a sudden. Just, that, that's just not fundamental. That, that's just horrible. Yeah, all of a sudden, it's like, this This is how you play a PlayStation game. You buy the game. You take it home. You install it to your, well, you delete the previous game that was on on your system, so you have room to install it on your system. Once it's installed, you wait for your internet to come back so you can actually play the game because you you can't play your $70 game you just bought. Yeah, and that I, I think that really ties into our next part, though, is that it's not only necessarily like the outages that actually occur at the individual like game companies or maybe because of a bad patch, but the investment into your own data center, the investment into your own like core infrastructure to host all of your game servers, to host all of your networking tech, everything like that, is so cost prohibitive for companies that every single day companies big and small are relying on the cloud to be able to get themselves set up and working. And a lot of companies, Google um, with their Google Cloud platform, you've got Microsoft with Azure, you've got AWS, like all of them offer gaming specific deployments. Like you want to be able to stand up a multiplayer server. Here's our base deployment to be able to do that. You just have to throw your stuff into it to make it, you know, all like come together. But like they have guides and documentation on how to do it. And that's cool and all, especially to save a buck. But what that leads then to is more impact to your gamer base, especially as things get hit. So like a good example here. So going back, this is from January 24th, an article on data center frontier, um, uh, it, it was actually talking about more so addressing what had happened, but this actually had occurred in October, um, is that Roblox was down for, uh, over three days, 73 hours back in October that left 50 million people 
offline from being able to play that game because it required the online component. Now, I haven't played Roblox. I've seen some of it. It's it's whatever. But Roblox only just went public like as a, a publicly traded company this last year. And all of their stuff exists in the cloud. So for them to have that type of impact, obviously, of course, you know, as a company, that really sucks. That hits their bottom line really hard because now their core infrastructure from the cloud provider is down. They can't mm-hmm. do anything about it. You know, that, that really hurts games. And then moving on to stuff that happened back in December, where it seemed like every other week we were getting an Amazon AWS outage. We had outages on League of Legends, Valorant, PUBG. Uh, there were problems with getting into Fortnite. There were a majority of the stuff really existed in um, in Epic Games catalog more than anything. But we also had stuff like support systems that go with um, our games like you and I were using discord right now that was down steam had problems it, it just it goes all over the place to show that you know it's like you're kind of putting all your eggs into one basket but as we've evolved into a uh, a data hungry internet hungry people that obviously of course this is the cheapest and most effective way to get that stuff set up and out there so we should expect outages but it, it doesn't detract from being able to do almost anything that comes with like any game that does have an online component and Gran Turismo 7 actually shows that even outside of their patches their entire emphasis on being at least like what feels like 95% online means that if a data center goes down okay it wasn't a bad patch someone tripped over a power cable you know just at the very rudimentary level but right that's it that game is now rendered completely useless is an expectation for Valorant and League of Legends um you know, like because it's like they are like they have always been poised as online only, and PUBG as well online only. But Steam, at least, you can take into offline mode and play your local like single player games without any impact to you know you having a good time. You just can't get online to do the stuff with other people. That, that's all I'm getting at is that it goes to show more emphasis on your product being required to be tied to the internet every single second you're going to have problems and it's going to be even worse especially if your history of that game has always been something that you could just play offline but if you want to go online and do some extra stuff here you go now it's oh you have to be online because we don't trust you and yeah yeah um i don't know I I I get part of the you know always online thing with with games like League of Legends with, with Valorant, they, of course it's going to be required because they're multiplayer online games anyway. But for for something like Gran Turismo to have an always online component, um, I feel like it's to prevent cheating from happening when you're going to involve real world money. In, in the aspect of of or tying it into buying the cars and whatnot, but there there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way to to include more of your game in an offline mode and be able to provide to the people that you 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 know spent seventy dollars on the game that want to be honest with you that that just want to play. Yeah, like especially with all of like the the security that does go into consoles anyway. I mean, I remember back in the day with like the PlayStation 2 and the Xbox with the mod chips where you get around things. But a lot of that doesn't 
seem to exist much anymore anyway. And a lot of it is more of, of software-defined security more than it is hardware security. Right. But there could be those, like, parts of the the drive partition that have the anti-cheat built into it, or they deploy a firmware update that includes the anti-cheat stuff necessary for these different titles, especially their first-party stuff. So that way, then, it's there. It might be a little slower to respond, but it allows at least for that offline play. And as more exploits and cheats are discovered, you know, or, or things are, are caught, they can, just like with your antivirus on your computer, where it goes out and connects to the internet when you first boot it up and says, hey, what's new? Do I have a software update? Do I have a definition update? It could be exactly like that too. And then it's a quick online check, and then it's up to you if you want to play online or not. You don't? Okay, well, it's going to run like this because it's got to do its back end. It's got to do its own internal checks, and you're good to move forward. Right. But again, it's it's passing off somewhere else just to basically save a buck almost effectively it's like like let's keep everything here in house and i get that with like drm and everything it's you need to keep everything as secure as you can because once someone breaks open the gate then good luck trying to get things back all i'm saying though is that there are other ways to make your stuff safe without being online only oh definitely i mean look at look at what and maybe it is a bad example, and I, I haven't seen how it's a bad example yet, but uh, Windows 11 with the the TPM, you know, it, it's as simple as that. You can't install Windows 11 without, you know, the TPM, and now they're making it more annoying to do so. So you, you can still install Windows 11. It just starts doing more annoying things to you. You know, instead of just a watermark, all of a sudden it's more and more. Yeah, because that TPM chip is built into the CPUs. It's not like on a motherboard or anything. It's actually built into it. So it's like if you want to try to figure out how to get past it, you're talking about changes that people can't make unless it's somehow bypassing things in software. But Almost uh, ironic that there's already something there that if they could work out a deal, there it is, you know? Yeah, or or have a multi-layer like anti-cheat situation where it's like your tier one is what you've developed or, or is what is developed by you know Sony or by the the hardware manufacturer. Okay, mm-hmm. that Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo make their own anti-cheat stuff. That's basically like kind of a catch-all. And then your second layer is the anti-cheat that you build in yourself. And that could be all bundled in and put there without having to compromise anything that goes online only. There are people smart enough to try to figure these things out and see where things are at. But technology moves fast enough that you would think there'd be ways to continue to evolve it and improve it. So, you know, if someone does figure it out, it's like by the end of the day, you've already got it patched, fixed, and everything is nice and happy and done. Granted, people are going to get around that by taking their stuff offline, but then, you know, it, who cares if they take it offline? Then you remove that whole problem where people, you know, can't then play the game online because as soon as it checks in, boom, that's it. it it's it, it's found to have not had this update. It's been 30 days. We're going to blacklist it, and unless you go in and download the update yourself manually and plug it into your console to update you're not coming online anymore because you violated the terms of service. But I will also say on one final note for me, anyway, uh, another thing to consider is, you know, 
these type of system outages in a world where cloud gaming is coming to the forefront of technology in the gaming industry. And it's so important to have those servers up. Why? Why would a game let their servers slack so much? Absolutely. No, I actually think that's an excellent point. And I think I'll end on... I'll end us here then probably with this note is, and this is kind of a culmination of both topics that we talked about is because NFTs and online only stuff really do kind of go hand in hand because at the end of the day, obviously it's going to be the consumer who's impacted based on the choices of what these game companies do, whether Mm -hmm. they do incorporate NFTs into their games and you end up having to spend money on NFTs to progress or to enhance your experience even if you don't want to, you're still kind of like forced into that corner to do so. Um, or you have to purchase an NFT to be able to use as like your check-in mechanism to be able to make your game work. Um, now, granted, there are opportunities for NFTs to be used for good, and there's a potential for them to be used in a way that a lot of people kind of hope that they could be, but it's going to take time in the development community to make that work. Otherwise, we're going to see more and more people having NFTs forced down their throat because developers have to bend to the will of the publishers or risk their game basically being kind of pushed to the bottom because they haven't incorporated this the buzzword of the day. And even with the online-only front is that you want to protect your title. You want to protect your, your game as much as you can with the anti-cheat. You want the anti-cheat to be off of the system so that way you have more control over it and it's easier for you to blacklist people. Well, that's great. That's an understandable thing to be able to have that type of check-in. But the amount of time that it takes to do something like that and the advancements, as we talked about, with hardware side anti-cheat or the potential of software anti-cheat that is actually embedded into the hardware in your house might make things run a tiny bit slower. But at the end of it, though still provides that net benefit experience without impacting your core demographic and basically making it seem like your $70 drink coaster is now, you know, it, it basically devalues even, you know, it is actually truly a $70 game. Okay. Yeah. And of course, you know, as people continue to migrate into the cloud, then we have to expect outages, but there's gotta be a certain point though, where, a game that is promised or games that are promised with single player components should not rely on the online only side um, for everything else that they need to do, because you're just going to end up into a problem where you're hurting the consumer. Especially when it's got such a price tag tied to it. Exactly. And with that, that is this week's episode doing a revisit of NFTs and gaming and online only with all that said of course thank you so much everybody for joining us for this week's npcs discuss don't forget to check us out on your favorite podcast platform of choice if you're already listening to us on there right now good for you be sure to hit that subscribe button so that way any new episode that does become available automatically downloads to your device and you can start listening to us right away we're available on google podcast apple podcast spotify tune in iheart radio man we are everywhere so there is not an excuse for you to go and subscribe and to give us a listen every week that we drop an episode. Also, be sure to follow us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook at the NPCs Podcast. And of course, follow us on YouTube at the NPCs Podcast as well. Links are on our anchor.fm page. Again, 
thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this week's NPCs Discuss. We will catch you all next time. Laters. <laughs>